Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy That's a great song, isn't it? I like that one. Amen. Well, take your Bible today. We're going to give you a little challenge getting there this morning. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. That's a long title for a small book. Habakkuk. Don't you just love to say that? Habakkuk. I like that. All right. Habakkuk chapter two, uh, 3, verse 2. Once we begin reading the passage, you'll go, oh, man, I know this one. I've heard that one before. And you certainly have. And again, as we uh, embark on our tent meeting and we're looking forward to a week of meetings, we want to prepare our hearts. We want to prepare our minds as we enter into that week. They say preparation is the key, not only to learning, but in so many other areas of our lives. And listen, if I'm going to build a house, I want to prepare. If I'm going to do a research paper, I need to prepare. If I'm going to get married, I better prepare. 
I'm just saying you need to prepare, and your preparation often determines the success that follows. Most often it does. And so today we want to prepare, if, we will, if I could say it that way, for revival and for our tent meeting. Now, it says in Habakkuk 3, 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Again, we see here that the prophet is speaking of a day and time when just preceding, actually, the Babylonian captivity. Wouldn't be long. They'd find themselves in captivity. And here he is now speaking unto God and crying out to God. The sins of the people had reached the ears and the the nostrils of God, and he was sickened by it. And as a result, he was going to permit them to go into captivity As a matter of fact, the prophet, he somehow gets the idea, he believes that how in the world could God himself continue with Israel in the state that Israel found themselves? In that sinful, wretched, wicked state, how could a holy God have anything to do with Israel? So he cries out and he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. A tremendous revival passage. You know, in every age and throughout history, there's been a need for revival. Sadly, a state of revival has not been the norm. Actually, that's most often not the case at all. As a matter of fact, as we read through the book of Revelation, chapters 2 through 3, we end up falling upon the Laodicean church. Or as we note that the Laodicean church is one that, well, God doesn't have a whole lot of good things to say about it. Many believe that those churches are representative of periods of time in in our past, that ultimately the Laodicean church represents the church today prior to Christ's return. And if that indeed is the case, which I kind of lean that it is, then that means that we're going to see evidence of a church that is extremely cold and distanced from God. And yet, as the Bible says, we see need of have need of nothing. We have need of revival then. And that's exactly what we want to discuss and deal with. We think about that word revival. What does it really mean? Well, as we look at Webster's dictionary and the definition that he gives, number one, he says, return, recall, or recovery to life from death or apparent death as the revival of a drowned person. Return or recall to activity from a state of languor as the revival of spirits. Number three, he says, recall, return, or recover from a state of neglect, oblivion, obscurity, or depression as the revival of letters or learning. And finally, he says, renewed or more active attention to religion, an awaking of men to their spiritual concerns. Again, we see this element of returning, recalling, recovering, being renewed, Today, this morning, I just want to share a couple of things. I want to share four basic things about revival, four elements that are necessary if we're going to see revival in our church, if we're going to see revival in our lives. As we prepare for this tent meeting, as we ready ourselves for revival, we understand that we can't just simply organize revival. We can't just schedule revival. We know this, but we can prepare for it. And so I want to take just a few moments today and give you just a couple of basics, fundamentals about revival. 
that I think can help us to prepare for the week ahead. And again, our preparation will determine the success of that meeting. And so, let's have a word of prayer, and I'll give you those, and I trust they'll be quick today. Father, we come to you. We need you this morning. We're asking that you will speak to our hearts through your word, and that you will help us to ready our minds, prepare our hearts for this coming week, as well as next week during our revival and during our tent meeting. We're asking you to do a miracle. We understand that, Lord, our world is somewhat upside down, topsy-turvy. It just seems that fear is being pandered across the country, and, Lord, it's going to be hard for us to focus our attention this week as well as we enter into next week on you and your word as we ought to. Help us, Lord, to take steps, to prepare our hearts and ready our minds for it. Now, Lord, give us wisdom. And, Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ that are here, maybe listening on live stream, that they would recognize their need for Jesus Christ as Savior. They'd cease seeking heaven on their own or somehow looking to their deeds or their actions. Instead, they'd look to you and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray now for your leadership in this service. Walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts. And, Lord, speak to me. Fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your messenger, your voice today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, number one, revival. If we're going to see revival, we need to understand that it is personal, then corporate. Revival is personal, then corporate. What do you mean, preacher? Well, what I mean is that revival begins with you, with you and with you. It doesn't begin as a church. If we're hoping that the church sees revival, then it's going to have to begin with individuals. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What we notice here in the passage is that, uh, that, that the church is a body. And again, God's not going to revive a, a building. He revives bodies, if you will. And the church is a body, the body of Christ. Notice again, as we mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12 through verse 14. The Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now let's assume for a moment that maybe you or somebody you know was in a severe car accident and you lost the use of your legs. Uh, that would be a tragic thing. It would be a horrible thing. But let's just say that a few days after this event has transpired and taken place, while you were laying in your hospital bed, all of a sudden you were able to wiggle your big toe. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd get pretty excited about that. I'd start to think to myself, man, there is a possibility that I'm going to get feeling in the rest of my body. I'm going to have control over the rest of my legs. This is a momentous occasion. This is exciting. This is wonderful. But can I tell you that simply having life in one big toe does not mean you have life in your whole body? Do you realize you're never going to walk if you only can move your big toe? You're going to have to have your ankle, your foot, your legs, your knees, everything else come to life before your whole body enjoys the effect of that life. 
Listen, I'm telling you in the church, we are a body, but the body is comprised and made up of many members. The truth is, is just because one member gets a little bit alive in Christ, one member gets revived, doesn't mean the body's going to experience revival. And I'm just saying today that if we as a church are going to recognize and, and, and enjoy the benefit of revival as a whole, as corporately speaking, it's got to begin with you, and it's got to begin with you, and it's got to begin with you, and it has to begin with me. Yes, the big toe has to come alive, but the fact is that the rest of the body does as well if we want the whole to be affected. Revival is personal, then corporate. Gypsy Smith, he was a tremendous, just a wonderful, wonderful preacher and evangelist. He experienced such wonderful success in his revival campaigns, so much so that a particular preacher approached him and asked him what the secret of his success was. He said, brother, go back home. Lock yourself up in a private room. Take a piece of chalk and mark a circle on the floor. Get down on your knees inside the circle. Pray God to start a revival inside that circle. When this prayer is answered, the revival will be on. And Gypsy Smith realized that it all began with individuals. It starts with you and it starts with me. If you're waiting for someone else to bring revival to Community Baptist Temple, my friend, you're going to be waiting a long time. It has to start in you. Revival's personal, then corporate. Number two, if we're going to recognize and realize revival individually, personally, and then corporately as a church, we're going to have to make room for revival. You got to make room for revival. You know, activity comes in so many different forms today, doesn't it? And not all activity is conducive to revival, I promise you that. Not everything we do, not every place we go is going to produce revival in our lives. Our world is filled with a, just multiple forms of distractions. There's very little downtime. And whether it's morning, noon, or night, it seems that we are engaged somehow, some way with our phones, our tablets, our computers, our televisions, or some form of media. It just seems we can never get away. Distractions and disturbances are par for the course today, aren't they? I'm not saying whether you like or you dislike it, but I promise you this. When it comes to revival, many of these things become distractions. God is not the author of confusion. And if God's not the author of confusion, who is? Satan is then. And he capitalizes on all the chaos and the confusion that's in our lives. By the way, he is delighted to see us extremely busy in the world and engrossed in all the madness of this world. Man, all the madness of the media even. I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about you, but I've got to step away from it. I mean, I understand right now. I know exactly what's going to be addressed. I know exactly what's going to be said. I know exactly before I even turn it on, before I flip on the screen, before I get a notice, I know already what they're going to discuss. I know what they're going to talk about. They've been talking about it for months. The same things over and 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 over again. And we wonder why we are laden down with fear. We wonder why our minds are being twisted and turned. We wonder why we go to bed frustrated and why we find ourselves so filled with anxiety. 
It's not good news, by the way. And even if it's not good news, they make it worse. And I'll tell you what, the devil sits back and laughs because it's affecting the church in a very negative way. I was a radio retrans operator in the army. What that means is basically I ran a radio. <laughs> wow. I was extremely intelligent. <laughs> I was so, so smart that they put me on top of a hill and said, you get to build tall antennas and transmit frequencies from this radio to another one way down the road. I remember my friend and I, we got together and we went on top of a hill. We were having maneuvers and we was in, I was in Germany at the time and there was a little village down below us and, and if they had good bratwurst. And I still remember that we went up on that hill and we set up that big ta- that tower, so to speak, or that big antenna. It, the higher you could get, the better. Why? Because what we found was that weather and terrain affected the signal. And if you didn't get that way up there because we were using what's called FM, which is line of sight. So you had to get it up as high as you could so it could shoot across and not be interfered with by the terrain or again by weather. We set up, we got things moving along and for a few days it went well. But then after a couple of days it seemed like we lost communications. All we had was static and interference. We worked hard, and every once in a while we would get in a window, it seemed, that we would get some communication, but then all of a sudden it would just shut down. This went on for a couple of days. We were up on that hill for days. And finally one day, our sergeant came driving up. And he said, where in the world have you guys been? And we said, what are you talking about? We're up here doing our job like you told us to. He said, listen, We put the word out two days ago that the maneuver was completed and go back to the barracks. I'm like, what? We've been sitting up here sleeping on the ground, getting rained on and everything else for two days now, and we could have been back in our beds. We could have been eating chow at the chow hall. You kidding me? You know what happened, don't you? That interference got in the way. That static separated us from the communications of our leaders. We couldn't hear from them. They're trying to tell us what to do and give us commands and, to, and it would be best on, for us and everyone else, but we, didn't even, we couldn't get communications. Can I tell you that's how the church is with God many times? There's so much going on. There's so many signals being sent out and many times it's just static. It's interference. We've allowed ourselves to be inundated and saturated with the world and everything going on around us that we cannot hear the voice of our commander-in-chief. Instead, we experience feelings of discouragement, depression, fear, anxiety, anger, rage, frustration fills our mind, and it creates interference that hinders the voice of God. And we're preparing and readying ourselves for a week of meetings. We want God to do something miraculous in our lives and in our ministry, but there's so much interference in the world. I mean, I'm sitting up on stage this morning, and all of a sudden, my phone goes... I was tempted, like always, just like you, to look real quick, and what it was was a news flash. I did not read it. I didn't look at it because I knew what it was going to be about, and so do you. It distracts you. 
And then there's the voice of God, and we're like, I, I can't hear you, God. Huh? Matter of fact, sometimes if we're honest, we don't have time to hear. We say, well, you know, the truth is, is that we don't have time for revival, preacher, nor do we have time for the pursuit of it. That's not really true. The truth is, is that you and I have the time, we just don't prioritize the time. See, revival will upset our schedules. Revival demands life change. And that's not comfortable for you and I today. It's funny, my wife feeds me uh, salads now. Can I tell you, years ago, I hated salad. I had a wonderful mother. She taught me salads are not good. Dessert is what's, what really matters. You eat food and dessert, but greens, forget it. That's not fake news. That's the truth. But my wife has so conditioned me now. She got me eating some greens. She got me even eating salads now. And honestly, there are times she'll say, you want a salad with your dinner? And I'll say, sure. Years ago, I would have said, there is no way I'm upsetting my schedule. There's no way I'm going to put myself out. There's no way I will be inconvenienced with a salad. They make me sick. They're disgusting. But now I'll go, yeah, sure, give me one. Do you know what it's like with God sometimes? We get the idea that somehow that we don't, we don't want a life change. We don't want things to be different in our life. We're comfortable the way it is. But can I tell you, if we would give God a chance, he'll change our wonder and it'll change our outlook. But you've got to make time for God, and so do I. Make room for revival. Number one, revival's personal, then corporate. Number two, we've got to make room for revival. Number three, Revival demands moral purity and holiness. This is probably the one that's so difficult, isn't it? Take your Bible, look at Psalm 139, would you please? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. You know, we, we, we can do a lot of things. Oh, preacher, I, I don't mind giving some money to the church. I don't even mind teaching Sunday school. I don't mind doing those things. That's great. But you start talking about getting pure and holy. Man, that's, that right there, that is where the rubber meets the road. Notice what the psalmist says here in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The psalmist says, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Hold on. Notice something. I think it's interesting to note this about the passage. He says, search me, O God. The implication of searching is to dig, right? To kind of, you know, get the light on the subject and to really search and to look. If you lost a coin in your house, you lost a $50 bill. You say, I never have those. But if you did and you lost it, you'd go searching. Guess what? You'd be picking up books and papers and moving things around. You'd go, you wouldn't just look like this real quick. You'd go in and start digging around. You'd even look on your dresser, in your dresser, and all kind of in places, all anywhere you could, because 50 bucks is 50 bucks. You'd search, and the psalmist says, search me, O God. He's not talking about, hey, God, take a look at my suit. How's it look on me? How's my tie doing? 
Do I look like I've got everything in order? Do I look well put together? No, that's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, search me. You do some digging in my heart. You get deeper than just the outside God. Go searching God. And he says, and know my heart. He focuses on our heart now. Man, I'll tell you what, it's not that hard to put a front of goodness or kindness on sometimes. It's not hard to make it look like we're trying to live for God. Looking that way isn't always the tough part. It's being that way that's hard. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He says, you dig into what I believe and what I think and how I feel, but then know what I'm thinking, God. Look at my thoughts even. Dissect it. Dig into it. I want you to do a search. And a thorough search indeed. See if there be any wicked way in me. I don't know about you, but that's a scary prayer for me. You want to know why? Because there's plenty to find. That's a prayer I need every day of my life. Confession of sin is absolutely necessary for fellowship with God and for revival among God's people. It has to happen. Now, I want you to notice a couple of verses and some questions that were presented by Dr. Charles R. Sanders in his work entitled, Heart Searching for Prayer, Preparation, and Personal Revival. This particular man of God put a work together that helps people, you and I, to prepare ourselves for prayer as well as revival. So here's how it works. For every yes answer you have, that means there's sin in your life. Every yes answer equals sin in your life. So take your Bible, first of all, look over at Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew 6, 14. Now we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to ask some questions, or he's going to ask some questions of us. And every time we answer yes, that means there's sin that has to be addressed and dealt with. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here are the questions based on the passage. Is there anyone against whom you hold a grudge? You say, yes, there's sin that needs to be addressed and confessed. Anyone you haven't forgiven? Anyone you hate? Anyone you do not love, talking about biblical love, are there any misunderstandings that you are unwilling to forget? Is there any person against whom you are harboring bitterness, resentment, or jealousy? Anyone you dislike to hear praised or be well spoken of? Do you allow anything to justify a wrong attitude toward another? Any yes answers, any yes responses means there's sin that needs to be addressed, confessed, and forsaken. Let's consider another one. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Bible simply states, whether therefore ye eat 
or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Here are the questions now. Do you take the slightest credit for anything good about you rather than of what Christ has done? Are your statements mostly about I? Are your feelings easily hurt? Have you made a pretense of being something that you are not? Any yes responses means there's sin to be dressed and dealt with according to our preacher. He's spot on. Turn to Ephesians 4.31 and a few more questions. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, we come to a passage that addresses some pretty practical elements in our life or the things that shouldn't be there. Notice what it says in Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Right off the bat, he asked the question, do you complain? Guilty. You know what I'm saying? Do you complain? Yes answer says, eh, you got some sin, you better deal with it. To confess it, forsake it. Do you find fault? Do you have a critical attitude towards any person or anything? Are you irritable or cranky? I had to apologize to my wife the other day and said, I'm so sorry for being so stupid. I got all irritated, flustered. I didn't put my fist through walls, of which would be very easy for me. <laughs> but I did get frustrated. You know what I mean? I was irritable. I was cranky. I had to confess it to her, and I had to tell the Lord, you got to help me, because I'm... And can I tell you why? I think it's just everything. Every time I watch the news, every time I look at my phone, there's just stuff going on all the time. I find myself under the gun, even when I shouldn't be. Do you ever carry hidden anger? But by the way, that doesn't excuse it. Do you ever carry hidden anger? Do you get angry? Do you become impatient with others? Are you even harsh or unkind? Now, by the way, if you are a parent, you have a right to discipline your children. That is not sinful. You have a right to tell them, I am disappointed with you if they do wrong. And I'm not, we're not talking about normal, reasonable things here. We're talking about an attitude that we have towards someone when it could be otherwise. And we're not talking about just with our children, our family. We have to deal with those things. And sometimes we have to get harsh with our kids when it comes to discipline. That's not what he's talking about here. But are you harsh and unkind in general with people and situations and circumstances? Any yes answer again. It exposes sin in our life that needs to be addressed and dealt with. Now, again, we could go on. He has like 16 questions, or 16 of these points and questions under every one. I don't have time to go through them. But I want you to be 
cognitive and very aware of the fact that there just might be some areas that you and I need to address and deal with because revival demands moral purity and holiness and revival begins with you. It begins with you and you and me. Finally, revival requires confession and repentance of sin. We talked about the idea of identifying the fact that we're sinners, but we're gonna have to confess it. We have to repent of it. It is not enough to know that there are deficiencies in our spiritual character. We have to confess them and forsake them if we're serious about experiencing revival in our lives. I mean, the big thing is today is everybody's willing to admit they mess up. I admit it. I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm not perfect. I admit it. I don't get up on time. I admit it. I don't get to work on time. I admit it. There's a problem. I admit it. I'm kind of lazy. I admit it. There's, what are, we, what are you doing about it? Nothing, but at least I admit it. I'm honest. You're honestly wrong. As a believer, we don't have a right to act like that. We've got to take things and matters into our hands. We've got to say, God, with your grace, I'm going to overcome things in my life, not just simply admit that I've got a problem. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I get that. But how many times do we keep asking about the same thing and never even trying? Is God going to take us serious if we're not serious? Hey, name your sin to God. Be specific in what area he's convicting you of. I mean, Lord, I've not put you first in my plans. I have neglected your word and I've neglected prayer. And don't make the least amount of excuses for sin in your life. Or any kind of sin in your life. Don't make excuses for it. Well, you know, I I wouldn't do that, but we're talking about revival. We're talking about God starting it in your heart and in mine. We're talking about God transforming and renewing our lives, about having an intimacy and a, a, a compelling relationship with Christ like we haven't had in weeks, months, or years. We're talking about taking everything that's going on in our world and shutting it down and closing it off and focusing our attention entirely, completely on God over the next two weeks. We uh, have put together this little paper here. Where's it at? It's in my Bible, that's why. (laughs) A little card, it says, Revival Basics. And we just talked about four of them. Revival is personal, then corporate. We must make room for revival. Revival demands moral purity. Revival requires confession and repentance. We talked about that today. So what steps? Take some action. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to get in our Bible more this week. And we want a media fast. Listen, I don't know about you, but I get tired of everywhere I go, I am being bombarded with someone's opinion about something. It's not whether it's right or wrong isn't even the issue anymore. And most of the time, it is not even right. I want God's personal opinion on things. I want to get away from it for a while. I want to open up, so uh, remove the distractions in my life. I don't want all of that static, all of that interference to keep me from hearing the voice of God next week. So this week, I'm going to take steps to prepare for next week. And, since, and if you choose to follow through with this, and we're not, listen, we're not even going to have our podcast this week because that means you got to get on social media. So we're going to be consistent. But we are going to ask that you get in your word. 
that you get in the, the, the Bible, you get on your knees, that you spend a half hour a day at least in prayer and Bible reading. And if you're already doing a half hour of prayer, Bible reading, and, uh, of prayer and Bible reading, then do more of it. We'll have all kinds of time if we're not watching TV, if we're not on our social media, if we're not on Facebook. Listen, you can text family, you can email folks, you can do the old-fashioned stuff for a week, two weeks. Next week, you won't have to worry about it. You'll be in church every night, you won't even notice it. And God, listen, we go to camp, take our teens. You know what happens? It takes, well, it used to take a couple of days. Man, by Tuesday night, the kids were softening up. By Tuesday night, decisions are really starting to pour in. Then Wednesday and Thursday, it's on. You know how it is today? We take our young people to camp, and it's not till Wednesday night usually that we start to see any kind of movement, really, of any significance. Monday night is Tuesdays. mm, Tuesday night, maybe somebody. But the truth is it starts really on Wednesday. And by the time Thursday comes, we finally start to see some real good decisions being made, but then they're leaving. Do you know what the problem is? Distractions. Man, there's so much going on in their lives. They're so used to being, they've been bombarded with the world and the philosophies of mankind. The worldview that they have has been so affected by the teaching and the upbringing and all the, the media that they are exposed to constantly that they have like a shield on them against God and his word. And they got to break that down. Got to remove those barriers. And that's true in your life and in mine. I'm saying let's use this week to start to tear down the barriers. Let's use this week to get away from some of those things that so clutter our mind that it'll keep us from communicating with our Heavenly Father and it'll keep us from hearing His voice. Let's prepare for next week's tent meeting and revival this week. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will never transform your mind And your mind will never be renewed if you continue to feed it the same thing. Now, in order as we close, in order to be revived, you have to have already been made alive. You have to already know Jesus Christ. You've had to have come to the place in your life when you trusted and received him as Savior and Lord. In Ephesians 2, 1, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened, You hath he made alive, is what he's saying, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before you came to Jesus, before you recognized the holiness of God and your sinfulness, before you finally fell on your face and humbled yourself before God and said, I need you and what you did on Calvary to pay for my sin, I can't do it myself. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me, save me, come into my life. Before you did that, you were as dead as dead could be spiritually. But you were made alive. The moment you trusted Christ. But let me tell you, the moment you became alive, you were in need of revival. The world will beat you down, beats me down. We need God to lift us back up. We need the word of God. We need the spirit of God. We need the voice of God. During the Welsh revival, a particular man went down from London to take part in some of the services he got, it. he got out at a country station there, and he asked a policeman that was standing by right there in the village square. He said, hey, hey, sir, where's the, where's the Welsh revival? The man kind of 
drew him over, got him closer. He patted his chest. And he said, the Welsh Revival, sir, is under these buttons. It's under these buttons. Can I tell you that revival is personal? Then it's corporate. The revival has to start under these buttons. And that's true in my life, and it's true in your life. The only real question isn't, does God want to bring revival to you? The real question is, will you allow God to give revival and share revival with you? Will you allow yourself to prepare so that God can perform revival in your life? Because it has to start under these buttons with you, 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 and me. May God help us this week. Revival's personal, then corporate. You're going to have to make room for revival. It's going to demand moral purity and holiness. And it's going to require confession and repentance of sin. But let me tell you what. If we believe the Bible, then we also have to believe that it's in our best interest that we give God the opportunity to change our lives. Let's start this week preparing. You'll be handed one of these. You'll be given an opportunity to grab one. Just keep it with you. Write your own little note on it or something about how long you're going to spend in prayer and Bible reading. And let's take steps this week. Listen, do your, I'm telling you, please, if you want God to really speak to you next week, you need to get off social media. If you really want God to do a work in your life, you need to start now taking down the armor that the world has seemed to even unwittingly placed upon you. You say, I, I'm telling you, it doesn't affect me. Okay. I'm telling you, if we really want God to do a work in our lives, we need to change what we're doing. Because if we don't change what we're doing, we're not going to see any different result. And I don't know about you, but I know I need some reviving. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We ask, Lord, that if there are any in this crowd that are without Jesus Christ, that don't know for sure heaven's their home, haven't received and accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would trust you and receive you even now, that they'd allow you to take them from spiritual death to spiritual life. I wonder in this crowd today if there's anybody that'd say, Preacher, that's me. I honestly can tell you, I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. And with an upraised hand, I want you to pray for me. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. Anybody like that? Preacher, that's me. Would you raise your hand? I'll pray for you. I won't come down there. I won't embarrass you, but I will pray for you. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. Pray for me, preacher. If you're alive today, then you need to revive today, probably. If you're alive, you need revive. The truth is all of us need revival on a regular, daily basis, but we as a church are entering into this time of tent meeting and revival, what decisions will you make? What preparation will you make this week that will allow God to speak to you in a more clear and personal way next week? Will you be willing to take the challenge of no media this week? Contact family through email, text, things like that instead of jumping on where you're being bombarded with Tech with messages off the side. We're seeing images and things that could distract. Articles that pop up. Headlines that seem to redirect our attention. Let's focus our attention this week on God, his word. 
prepare ourselves for next week. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless now. Speak to our hearts, work in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye.